week of NFL action in the books and another episode of Four Down Territory coming at you today. I am Luke Easterling, editor of DraftWire and BucksWire on the USA Today NFL Wire Network, joined as always by my good friend Doug Farrar, editor of Touchdown Wire. And we're here to break down everything week five in the NFL. Doug, another fantastic week of NFL parody, a bunch of surprises, some some wild and crazy happenings across the league. We're going to start in my neck of the woods with rookies and draft picks. We had five rookie corners on Sunday get interceptions, three of them for the first time, three first-round picks. We had Derek Stingley Jr. in Houston. We had Sauce Gardner of the Jets. We had Kyir Elam for the Bills, Jack Jones of the Patriots, and our guy Tariq Woolen, who I know we're going to get to in just a minute, of the Seahawks. All of them had interceptions in Sunday's game. Pretty remarkable run for that that group of corners, right, coming out of this draft. Interceptions aren't the, the perfect arbiter of, of cornerback performance, right? But based on their overall play this season, which of these five rookie corners do you think has acquitted himself with the most authority so far? Yeah, the most incredible thing about this is all of those five interceptions by rookies came in the early games. I don't believe any more cornerbacks had. I'm going to check on that. But just in the early games, it's like if wow, somebody that was, had that parlay, man, good luck. Uh, so I'll go with Tariq Woolen because the performances this guy keeps putting up, I don't think. Any, I mean, you and I were both on the bandwagon, but I don't think even we could have expected this. Through his first five games in the NFL for Pro Football Focus, Woolen has allowed 11 catches on 20 targets for 153 yards, 54 yards after the catch, no touchdowns, a league high three interceptions, and an opponent pass rating of 40.2 which is fifth best in the NFL among cornerbacks who have played at least 50% of their snaps. Woolen was a size-speed size guy, 6'4", about 200, ran a 4'2", 640 out of uh, University of Texas at San Antonio. We all thought, well, the traits were all there. Maybe it'll take a year or two for him to figure it out. I know he got his graduate degree at the University of Richard Sherman, who was acting as a consultant for Seattle's cornerbacks, and that has helped. I've talked to Sherman about that, and, and, you know, he's kind of as blown away as we are. Um, but he, you know, he's – I think he's succeeded beyond any of our expectations. And it's kind of like Trevon Diggs in Dallas, who's obviously not a rookie. But last year he had the 11 interceptions, and he gave up literally over 1,000 passing yards. This year I think he only has two picks, but he's playing a lot better. So when we talk about interceptions, it's like that you – know, as you said, it's not the ultimate arbiter – but Woolen leads the league in picks right now as we film this Monday morning, and he's just locking everyone down. That interception against the Saints, that was that was Legion of Boom technique. That was bail coverage, run back, trail the receiver, jump the route, go. He's a remarkable player, and the fact that he's picked it up this early uh, as a fifth-round pick is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, you, you know me. I always like to pick something different from you just because, and I could easily take any of those other corners because they they, they've all played really, really well. But I really just can't miss the opportunity to talk to talk about Woolen because, again, like you said, we were on the bandwagon. I was so high on this guy coming off of not just the, the film I saw but the combine performance. But even as high as I was on him, I didn't think it would happen this quickly, right? You're looking at a guy, like you said, 6'4", 205 with the, the length and the athleticism. But the film was really raw, right? You saw a guy that looked, you know, kind of lost at times, and you could see he was still trying to figure out how to use those physical traits. So you're thinking, hey, a year or two in the league, he'll develop. You know, obviously ended up in Seattle. You end up, you know, maybe under the wing of a guy like Sherman from his time in that franchise. But, man, it has just happened so quickly for him. And and the things you saw that were going to translate 
weren't just physical. You could see the confidence that you have to have to play that position. You see the work ethic that it takes to maximize those physical tools. All of that was there. I wanted the Bucks to take this guy in the second round, Doug. He was the number 58 overall prospect on my board in this draft. And the Hawks. And he would have fit very well in a Todd Bowles defense. He absolutely would have. They got Zion McCollum in the fifth, which I, I wasn't unhappy about because he I had him pretty high as well. Very similar traits in, in size and speed. So I'm fine with that. But but man, the Hawks stole this guy at 153. Like I said, I had him at 58. The last time the Seahawks stole a corner in the fifth round that had no business being there, it was Richard Sherman. I, I don't know if I'm ready to make that comparison yet, but uh I thought it would take more time for for him to develop. Obviously, he's exceeding those expectations already. By the way, the guy who ranks fourth in opponent pass right now is DJ Rita of the Jets, who the Seahawks threw away. Whoops. Win some, you lose some, Doug. Yeah, that's right. That's the way it goes. Hey, staying in the NFC here, where I mean, the Packers, they look like they're in trouble, Doug. It's It's been more than just the jet lag or the Vindaloo from their time in London, right? You've got... Uh, the Giants game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Aaron Rodgers fails to complete any of his six deep passes in this game. Matt LaFleur quits on the run game too quickly, obviously, and, and the defense is abysmal. Green Bay had a 17-3 lead in this game and end up losing 27-22 against the team that they have the talent to beat 10 times out of 10, right? So LaFleur, after the game, he says that he was both outcoached and the team was outplayed. At three and two, they still have a winning record, but is this a contender that we can really take seriously right now? I don't think anyone's surprised by the way the offense has gone. Rodgers' deep ball has been an issue for the last, it was an issue last season. It's certainly, I think he's like six of 23 on balls of 20 or more air yards. The deep ball isn't what it used to be. And that happens. You know, it happened to Drew Brees, happens, it's happening to Tom Brady, it happens to everyone. Um, I thought this was going to be a Super Bowl-level defense. And when I see this many blown assignments, this many miscommunications, they're getting demolished on crossing routes. And that's handing off a guy to another guy. This is the same defense in Week 1 that didn't put J.R. Alexander on Justin Jefferson because, oh, we're playing zone, so we don't do that. You put your best guy in your best guy. This that is that sounds like a very Matt Rule strategy there, Doug. Yeah, it sounds like a very Jack Del Rio strategy is what it freaking sounds like. But anyway, um, yeah, so the surprise to me is the defense. And I think Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, he's going to have to take some lumps for that. Um, as far as where they go, I think, you know, with A.J. Dillon and, um, and Aaron Jones, and I think it was Dillon after the game who said with that last, you know, that last red zone series, Dillon was like, you and Tamir Aaron, we're, we're getting in. We, we know that. So the players are starting to question, and I know after the, the Vikings game, some players were questioning, well, why wasn't J.R. on just – so you're you're getting a lot of player clapback. We understand that from Rodgers because that's, you know, he's Aaron Rodgers. He's the franchise guy. That's how he is. But when it starts to resonate throughout the locker room, yeah, I think there are problems here. In terms of the big picture, I think any team – when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, obviously that, that team has to be taken seriously as a contender to some degree. You know, but I agree. I, I think this team looks like a mess right now. The defense is befuddling. The the lack of commitment to the ground game, especially with leads and, and in critical times in the game when you're close to, to the goal line, it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me, Doug. I mean, you got Rodgers trying to break in these rookie receivers, Christian Watson, the second round pick, Romeo Dobbs, the fourth round pick. You know, you've got the, the absence of Devontae Adams on top of that. So there's just there's so much missing and so much that's a work in progress. 
they have to rely on that two-headed monster in the backfield, right? They've got to rely on Aaron Jones and, and A.J. Dillon, which it looked like they were doing early in the season, and I don't know why they've gotten away from that. It, the, the offense feels like it's going nowhere fast. The, the team has the talent to be a problem in the NFC, even as tough as it seems like it might be with some parity at the top there. But it's, it feels like to me it's a matter of whether or not the headsets can maximize that talent that's on paper, like you said. And right now that's just not happening on either side of the ball. Doug, we mentioned the parity we're seeing in the NFC and and nowhere is that a, a more obvious than in the NFC East, right? We've got three teams, the Giants, the Eagles, the Cowboys, who have at least four wins through the first five weeks of the season. The Eagles, the only undefeated team left at 5-0. and oh. And according to ESPN Stats and Info, since the NFL went to those eight divisions in 2002, there have been only three other instances where a division has had four, excuse me, three four-team wins through the first five weeks of the season. You had the AFC North in 2020, you had the NFC East again in 2008, and then you had the 2002 AFC West. So after all of our legitimate NFC least jokes uh, that we've had in the recent years, is this now somehow the best division in football? Yeah, parody. As Tom Brady said last week, there's a lot of bad football out there, uh, sadly for you, Luke, including in Tampa. Yeah, the Bucks are playing a lot of it, unfortunately. Woof! I see the lowest amount of bad football in the NFC East, so I guess that's the standard at this point of the season before everyone kind of gets their stuff together. Uh, so yeah, I think it, I, I think it is the best division of football. The Eagles won ugly against the Cardinals, uh, who always play ugly, to maintain their status as the NFL's only undefeated team. The Cowboys are winning with Cooper Rush because their defense is absolutely brilliant. We are not talking about Dan Quinn and what he's doing with that defense enough, nearly enough. Uh, I intend to fix that in an article this week. And as we've already discussed, the Giants are scheming around their talent deficits to an impressive degree on both sides of the ball. If you can turn Saquon Barkley into Taysom Hill, why not? So they do it. Um, even the one in four commanders have talent. They're just mired in a bad defensive plan and beholden to Carson Wentz's inconsistencies. But yeah, this is the best division of football as things stand today. I mean, I said it last week, I think, when we were talking about the Eagles, Doug. You are what your record says you are, right? And that means this is the best division in football. Um, the, the best football is being played in the NFC East. Strange as it would have seemed a couple of years ago, right? These three teams at the top here are getting the job done whatever ways are necessary, right? They're leaning on the strongest points they have. They're mitigating what they don't have with, with scheme and, and good coaching. Um, anything they're lacking at the moment, they're able to cover up with those other things. And I mean, honestly, with Washington, I feel like if Sam Howell, the rookie fifth-round pick, was throwing the ball uh, around for the Commanders, they might be better than one in four, too. So um, definitely uh, – Can we make that happen right through the power of video? Can we make that happen right now? Can we just put that in Ron Rivera's head? And my go? dynasty my dynasty fantasy team agrees with that. So let's, uh, let's get that going. Let's get the Sam Howell train going in Washington. But, yeah, I, I can't argue with that. It looks like – the NFC East is, is the top dog right now. To close things out today, it's the second straight week that we've seen referee Jerome Boger at, with a questionable, at best, roughing the passer penalty on a defender, which really altered the course of a game late in a game, right? First of week four against the Ravens. You had cornerback Brandon Stevens with Baltimore's loss to the Bills uh, with the, the questionable call there. And on Sunday, it was the Falcons. You had Gra uh, Grady Jarrett, their star defensive lineman, with an incredibly questionable call. When he sacks Tom Brady on that key third down in the Tampa Bay game, right, it's going to be a sack. They're getting off the field. They're getting the ball back down six with a chance to go maybe win that game. Instead, you get a, a kind of a delayed roughing the passer call, extends the drive, and, and really just finishes the game for Tampa Bay there. Black Falcons never get the ball back. Game over. There it is. So, And then you had Steelers quarterback Kenny Pickett. He was hit by uh, DeMar Hamlin, his former Pitt teammate, right, on a play where, where Pickett clearly gave himself up. There was no flag. 
on that play, which was more egregious. There was a flag on James Daniels, the Steelers' offensive lineman, for coming to the defense of his quarterback. So we've got all this talk about player safety these days, but is it time to do something about the uneven nature when it comes to protecting the quarterback and enforcing these rules? Uh, you can do a few things. Um, I think Jerome Boger has a bright future in the maybe the NFL's head office. Um, as you pointed out, there were multiple other missed calls in that game, and that's kind of par for the course there. Um, Luke, did you know there's a codicil in the NFL rule book that says that you know there's like 18 different you know parameters for roughing the passer, and at the end they go note one <laughs> paren one in paren when in doubt. <laughs> about a roughing roughness call or potentially dangerous tackle or tactic against the passer, the referee should always call roughing the passer. So if you have any question, call roughing the passer. Just heck with it. Just call roughing. The you can't give a group of officials that much variance on a call that's not reviewable, and it should be, and can be that game-changing, as we have seen, and expect everyone to get it anywhere near right. Boger obviously has his internal checklist of what roughing the passer looks like, Right or wrong, it doesn't matter the NFL if you apply that part of the rule to the penalty. As for the picket play, the NFL, for all its protections of quarterbacks in the pocket, doesn't do enough to protect them when they're runners. Ask Cam Newton about that. Pickett was sliding when Hamlin hit him. He had clearly given himself up. He It was like two or three steps, the old Eli Manning rule, right? Um, so I don't know why referee John Hussey and his crew thought that was acceptable, maybe because it wasn't obvious targeting. Like if Hamlin had gone in with his helmet, it would have been targeting, and that's right. you know, those different penalties. There was another play in that game. We've all seen this. Bill's edge rusher, Carl Lawson, obviously went for Pickett's needs after Pickett threw the ball as Pickett ran outside the pocket to the sideline, and it was Pickett who got the penalty when he came up and reacted to what Lawson did and got in his face, which – anyone with half a brain would do because you're talking about maybe ending the guy's season or career at that point. And his career's just started. Lawson was not penalized on the play. Why? It's a legal hit. So as is the case with a lot of rules in the NFL, you can't overcomplicate this stuff. Not because officials are idiots, despite what we say all the time, but because things happen at a bang, bang, hurry up rate right in the NFL more than ever. You can't have people flipping through their internal Rolodexes trying to remember Rule 5, Section C, Codicil Q, as they're going. You, you know, you, you need to simplify and make sure we all know this is roughing the pass or this isn't, and oh, by the way, it's reviewable. Not to slow down the game, but to give everyone a chance to look at it again. That just makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like this came up with the whole Tua situation, right, in regards to the concussion protocols. There's just seems to be no common sense involved and too much – complexity and vagueness with the way the rules are written and therefore enforced that it just nobody seems to know what's going on we dealt with it with the whole what's a catch and what's not a catch thing that i don't even know if we figured out to this point either um no, yeah. but there's just no the consistency and lack thereof is a is a product of that lack of clarity in terms of how it's written and how it therefore can be enforced so i agree with everything you said i, I think watching that game obviously very closely covering the bucks Sunday was just a rough day for that whole crew. Jerome Boger's crew missed calls all game long for both teams. There were multiple deep shots to Scotty Miller where there was pass interference that wasn't called on the defender, one of which yeah. was on the play before that roughing the passer penalty. So obviously Bucks fans are all, you know, yeah, the roughing the passer was terrible, which it was, but it was a makeup call for the pass interference that they missed on the previous play. So Falcons chi fans chime in 
And they're like, yeah, but the missed pass interference call was because they called A.J. Terrell for holding on the previous third down, and it wasn't holding. I think that one was a little more iffy. I think I saw a little bit more of a hold there, but I'm admittedly biased there. But, you know, even in at the end of the half, anybody who saw that exchange between Tom Brady and one of the other officials where Brady was trying to inform them of the rules because they were holding up the snap of the ball because they were letting the defense sub in and out when they don't have to do that under two minutes in the half, right? So Tom Brady's trying to let them know, hey, I'm trying to catch them off guard. You're not letting me, and I'm playing by the rules, and you don't seem to know the rules. It was just a, a wild sequence to see them holding up a play and to, to watch Dean Blandino on Fox Sports say in real time, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. They should have let him snap the ball. I mean, it was just a really, really bad day for that crew, and it, it really goes far beyond that play. I know that's the one that everybody's going to remember because it really, you know, the, the the game hung in the balance, but that play only we only got to that play because we had a lot of other mistakes that that crew made throughout the day. And without getting USA Today's lawyers involved, I'll just say that Mr. Boger might have a brighter future in another part of the National Football League based on his track record over the years. And I'll just do it at that. Well, that does it for us, Doug. Another uh, four down territory in the books. Uh, another week of NFL action that uh, we'll be talking about for a while. We got coaches fired already. We've got all kinds of. Uh, wild things happen throughout the league. So we look forward to week six, which I'm sure is going to be just as action-packed. We thank you guys for joining us again for another episode of Four Down Territory. Once again, for Doug Farrar, I'm Luke Easterling, and we'll see you next week. 